You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for being here, Summit family. If you're a guest with us today, thanks for being here. Uh, my name's Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Um, we don't want to waste any time, so uh, we want to jump right in. Well, before I do that, though, I want to welcome our Summit Blairsville location. I don't want to neglect you guys at all. Can we give Summit Blairsville a big round of applause? And say thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you guys. But Chad, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for joining us. And... Uh, we hear the term Navy SEAL a lot in our culture, uh, but the reality is some people may not even really know what a Navy SEAL does. So what does a Navy SEAL do? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, back home in California, a girl asked me if it meant that I worked at SeaWorld or something, as she put it. Uh, maybe you guys didn't know this, though. So SEAL is actually an acronym, and it stands for Areas of Operation, Sea, Air, and Land. Kind of give you a feel of what my team was doing on the last deployment I was involved in out in Iraq. We were given the task of hunting down men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs, IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working with a group called the ISOF, which is the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And really, one of our goals with these guys is to simply teach them how to fight their own fights. And so we figured the best way to do that is only train them on base, but actually go outside that wire and fight side by side with them. And uh, I remember as we're coming up on what looked like just enough time on the calendar to maybe squeeze in one more operation before we were going to go, uh, we weren't really sure if the ice office was ready for us to be passing that baton of responsibility off to them. So we decided for this final operation, why don't we try and make it a, a sort of graduation operation? We'll let them plan the whole thing from the ground up, and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. And so they're starting from scratch, hitting the streets. They're trying to get some intel. They find this source that informs them about this man. He's an Iraqi policeman by day, but at night, back home, he's one of these bomb makers that we're looking for. And to kind of give you a sense of the type of character that, you know, manufactures one of these suicide vests, you know, oftentimes they're not very motivated to actually be the one to strap it on themselves. In fact, they have such a difficult time finding somebody to raise their hand and volunteer. In one instance, they didn't find anybody, so... What did they do? Well, they went and they grabbed two mentally handicapped women and strapped these vests onto them, shoved them off to a car to marketplace as these guys watched from a distance like cowards, setting it off with the remote and killing these women and obviously so many more. So it gives you an idea of the type of character that we're up against. But the ISOF, they had that guy's number that night. You know, they figured out where he lives, presented this plan, how they wanted to approach the house, get in, grab the guy and extract and they presented the, the plan to us along with one special request. They felt they got shot at more than, than we did. They thought they figured out why. And so we're like, all right, what is it? And they say, it's the color of your uniforms. We're like, really, the color of our uniforms? Not the way we shoot, move, communicate. You think it comes down to the mere color of a uniform. And these guys are convinced of this. And so here's the request. They said, would you be willing for this final op to maybe take off your American colored uniforms, put on our ISOF colored uniforms, and so we're like, all right, you want us to put your uniforms on in hopes that we blend in with you, in hopes that we get shot at more with you? And they're like, yeah. It's like, fine, it's not about the uniform. So got the uniforms on. Needless to say, my dark complexion, start growing out a little facial hair, then get on an Iraqi uniform. I got the guys on my team now giving me a weird look, like, hey, Williams, you're starting to blend in with these guys around here. And on that night, I'm on the 50 caliber machine gun. And for those of you that might not know, let's just say that's a weapon that could really reach out and touch somebody looking through these night vision goggles and just 
excited about, I know how this night's gonna go, but I also know this, just a matter of days from now. This is our last op. Just a matter of days from now, I'll be back in my hometown surfing in the ocean. But what we didn't know about that night was that we were actually being set up the entire time uh, to get thrown in the absolute worst circumstances we'd been in on this entire deployment as we find ourselves set up on an ambush and now suddenly we're engaging in this gun battle for our lives. And it really was the team's ability to shoot, move, communicate, do what we do best in the teams that led to the obvious conclusion I stand alive before you this morning. Uh, but it is worth remembering that it doesn't always work out that way. And so we should recall that you know, our freedoms aren't free. They're paid for in the currency of our soldiers' blood on the battlefield. And there's definitely a spiritual truth and application to that. Because yeah. when you consider eternal freedom, that wasn't free. And that was paid for in the currency of the Savior's blood at the cross. Yeah. So you weren't born a Navy SEAL. You didn't come out of your mother's womb. Um, hoo right? Like you, you had to go through some training and development, all that stuff. But before you even got there, um, you were raised in California. Um, were, you, were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, were you guys active believers? Like tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I remember a, a time where we started going to church. And so I think that, you know, we would identify as a Christian family. Uh, but in a lot of ways, you can sort of identify as a Christian just because that's what your family is. Yeah. Or that's where I'm going to pick on my, my dog tag. Or if I live in California, I'm going to go with a certain team, you know, the Dodgers or the Angels. It's just that's who we are. Um, and so that's kind of how it was early on. And then my, my parents, you know, they were very young parents. They started to really take their faith seriously. But by then, I'm in high school making my own decisions, you know, and kind of drifted off a little bit. But there definitely was that sort of background or that underpinning that was there. I believed in God. I would call myself a Christian, uh, but I really wasn't living like God existed, if that makes sense, at yeah. that time. So growing up, you, um, you were an athlete. You were involved in sports. You were involved in um, skateboarding. You were, you were actually a, a sponsored uh, professional skateboarder by and sponsored by vans um you're traveling performing but all these things kind of wore out after time and you was it that you were trying to find your identity and that it just was unfulfilling or what was it that was leading you from one thing to another do you think I, I think it kind of was like I would find my identity in those things like skateboarding and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not realizing it at the time, but that's kind of what brought me the friends that I had. And it was when I stopped the competing and there was this little bit of a void that a lot of the friends I had before really aren't my friends so much anymore. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And so yeah. I realized that I'm on this track where, you know, I'm not going to continue on with the skateboarding. I don't really have a plan academically. I'm just going to the local community college. And, you know, now I'm kind of falling into the whole party scene, ditching school and hanging out with friends and failing all my classes. And for whatever reason, it just took this moment at the end of the first year of that community college, failing all these classes for it to just really hit me in the face as I'm about to go take finals. Like, hey, I'm on this track of I'm becoming a loser. I mean, the kind of guy that no young person wants to be. And so I just start thinking, how do I turn this thing around? Yeah. You know, I know I don't want to live a wasted life, but the problem was is that I really lacked something to aim at. <laughs> and so the greater the need, the greater the result. My back was really up against the wall, and I start brainstorming. At first, I think I have the perfect plan. Go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. Like, that's what I should go do. Of course, do. Yeah. of course. That's what, yeah, everybody. <laughs> it's exciting to watch yeah. on TV. You know, the whole danger to it really had a ring to it. And then they get paid well. Um, and then this other idea about, wait a minute, no, why can't I go join the military? And who's stopping me? Who's mm -hmm. stopping me from going for it? 
you know, for, for trying to become, you know, a Navy SEAL. And just sitting in the truck one day, it probably didn't take more than two or three minutes of thought. I just decided that's what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm gonna go be a Navy SEAL. And honestly, that felt like that was probably the most difficult part in the whole process. I'm just figuring out, like, what is it that I'm aiming at? Because once I had an aim, you know, then it's a matter of just practical steps of getting there. You know, mm-hmm. it's start off with, you know, some running, swimming, pull-ups, and push-ups. But I was so all in on it that I was sitting in my truck about to go take finals as I made up my mind. So I figure, well, if I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL, my first order of business is this. I don't have to go to school anymore. So I started the truck up and took off out of that parking lot <laughs> and kind of broke the bad news, good news as I presented it to my pops. Yeah, so tell me about that um, when, you, when you decided to tell your parents, <clears throat> hey, I know I've never really stuck with, so tell us a little about that. I, I, I frame it in a way where it's like, here's the bad news. I'm failing all my classes. My dad is like facepalming like, oh, man, Chad, what's, what's the good news? He's just waiting. I'm, it's all right, Dad. I got a plan. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so he's looking at me strange now. And then I kind of realized, oh, yeah, you know, like, yeah, here's your son that hasn't, you know, stuck with skateboarding or baseball, not making it at the local community college. You know, I don't have that kind of discipline, but I'm letting you know I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so he's just trying to be that voice of reason and let me know, like, this is a big decision. It's one of those things, once you sign your name on that dotted line, there's no turning back. You can't just, like, junior college be like, oh, I'm over it. I'm just going to stop. Because if you join and maybe then you find out it's not for you or suppose you don't make it, mm-hmm. you're still going to be in the military and you're probably going to pick up a job like chip and paint off some boat off the coast of Japan. And uh, the kind of guy I was, especially at that time, but still am now, if you imply you think I can't do something, I'm bolting down on it. I want to do it even more. And so it really worked out as a motivation uh, for me. So uh, at this point, you tell your dad, I want to become a Navy SEAL. And... Um, uh, your, your dad helps you along the way a little bit at this point. So what does that look like? Surprisingly, he invites me inside one day. seems like he's on board. He's like, so you want to do this? You want to be a SEAL? I'm like, yeah, dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great. Well, I set up a workout for you with a Navy SEAL. Check out my computer screen. I'm looking at the computer screen thinking, my dad doesn't know any Navy SEALs. What is this all about? And all it says in this email is, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm like, Play? Like, Dad, let me get this straight. You met some guy off the internet who says he wants to play with me, and you're arranging this meeting right now. <laughs> he's like, no, he's a SEAL, son. I'm like, you can't trust everything someone tells you on the web, Dad, because this guy's a SEAL. Well, as it turns out, there was more of a conversation that took place on the phone prior to that email that I didn't know about at the time. I found out months later, but I'll give you guys the backstory up front. On this phone call, he's telling this man, hey, my son wants to be a SEAL, But here's the deal. He has no idea what he's signing up for, doesn't know he's getting involved in. And so I'm wondering if you'd do me a really big favor, would you be willing to meet up with my son? And what I'm asking you to do is I need you to just crush him, like annihilate him, beat this out of him. This is our becoming a seal. Guy shoots off his reply in the email. You know, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? Long story short, I find myself out in Oceanside, California, meeting up with, you know, a Navy SEAL. This guy does look the part, though. He looks like something Michelangelo carved out, pointing his finger at me, saying, hey, you Chad? Like, uh, yes, sir. He's like, all right, Bubba. I was Bubba from that point forward. (laughs) He sends me off on a run where he lets me take off ahead of him. And I'm looking back thinking, where is this guy? Because he was supposed to catch up with me after a certain point. Now I'm starting to think, maybe I'm too fast for this Navy SEAL. So like now the, the pride is like creeping in. 
and I look over my shoulder again, it's like a scene out of Terminator 2, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where that bad dude could like morph into the knife hands and chase down the vehicle. <laughs> I look back and he's like a canine let loose out of a squad car. Closes in on me, catches up to where I am, and I never saw it was coming next as I'm greeted then by his fist going right into my stomach knocking me to the ground. I feel that wind knocked out of me before I even hit that ground. I just see blue sky, wind knocked out, hitting the ground, poofadur up all around me, and it does not stop there. Now he's jumping on top of me, and this guy's ragdolling me, just has me by my shirt. I still remember the sound of the threads just ripping, feeling spit flying out of his mouth as he's screaming in my face, and, and you gotta put yourself in my shoes. You know, the only intel I'm operating on is some guy, my dad met off the internet, now he's got me on a trail. I'm thinking child predator, man, like this is happening. And so he's screaming in my face, but suddenly these words come through. He says, you wanna be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And there was something about that moment where I realized this is it and this is for real. And mm -hmm. I just knew if I quit right now, for me, I'll forever be a quitter. Uh, this is the moment that's gonna affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. And so I just reaffirmed this initial attitude that I understood you have to have to make it through training of like die before you quit. And so I was just, I'll die before I quit. And so he gets up, takes off. And honestly, looking back as this went on for miles, he was just really trying to break me down and discourage me. Mm -hmm. I just stayed on his heels. But looking back after having gone through SEAL training, I could say I never went through a more difficult singular workout, I should call it a beatdown session, than this encounter with this Navy SEAL, Scott Helvenston. Uh, but I hung in there, got to the end, and uh, thankfully things kind of changed after that, the, the relationship between him and I. Yeah, so after that, um, you know, he didn't spend every day, it wasn't like a Dateline episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> Chad Williams was never seen again right. after. <laughs> um, so... Uh, your relationship did change pretty quickly after that, and um, how, how did that develop, and what did that ultimately look like? I think he kind of saw something in me that he liked, and so he actually hit up my dad afterwards. I find out all of this over lunch, like months later, and he says, look, I know what you want me to do. I gave it a go, but I think your son might have what it takes. Like, I'd like to start meeting up with them. So from that point forward, I began to meet up with Scott, and thankfully, it was no longer a beatdown. became more of a, a building up, and you know, he really took me under his wing and he became like a second father to me. You know, suddenly one day I go from always being Bubba, you know, to like all of a sudden he's referring to me as Junior. Hey, Junior, you know. So we're doing all the running, swimming, pull-ups and push-ups and Scott's this extraordinary Navy SEAL that holds all kinds of records. He's the youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training and completed the program by 17 years old. And that was only possible because of the horrible upbringing he had. Uh, he's a world champion penathlete. He's the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. He was the only man at the time to beat the beast on a TV program called Man vs. Beast, where he raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course on a national television, pulled ahead of it on monkey bars. Like, you can't make it up any better. And so you can imagine what it's like to get trained by him. And so I would say... Uh, he got me ready, and so I end up signing up, and I've got this date. It's set. I'm going to be shipping off for boot camp. So um, Scott comes to you, uh, and he is, he's out of the military at that point, but he comes to you and says, hey, I've got this opportunity to, to go overseas and earn some money as a private contractor, mm -hmm. uh, work for Blackwater. Um, so tell us, tell us what happens next. Yeah, so he has just one 
little opportunity, thought like, oh, I'll go do this. It's only going to be a couple months long. Could make some pretty good money doing it. And, you know, perhaps he could make a difference too. You know, this is in kind of the, the heat of the Iraq war back in, you know, two, early 2000s. And so he decides he's going to do it. He's hopping on the phone with me, letting me know as he's going out the door. He's leaving before I leave for boot camp. He's telling me, all right, Junior, I'm about to go do this thing. He's referring to going to Iraq. Mm -hmm. And he says, I want you to know something, though, that I've never told anyone I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And so to hear that from him, I'll yeah. never have the words to describe just, you know, how much that meant to me. And he's reminding me of the timeline. He's only going to be gone a couple months. It's about the same amount of time I'll be off doing boot camp, which is a prerequisite to start SEAL training. And he says, by the time you start SEAL training, I'll already be back home, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to see you make it through. And so I'm excited. We're saying our goodbyes, getting off the phone, and so he's gone. And now I just got a handful of days before I go off to boot camp. Well, some days go by, television on one day, and I see Scott's face on TV, like a smiling picture of him. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is this all about? Like a smiling picture of Scott. Like maybe he's on another TV program. Maybe there's something he didn't tell me about. It just, wasn't, it just wasn't making sense in my head, and I wasn't really tuned in to the commentary in the background. But then I saw in the lower part of the screen, Scott's birth date, followed by a dash, and it says March 31st, 2004. And I couldn't even process that in my head. And, and it's not comporting, and now it switches from a smiling picture of Scott to now I'm looking at graphic video footage of a vehicle engulfed in flames in Fallujah, Iraq, which turned out to be the very vehicle that he was in, along with three other Americans, as this group of insurgents had ambushed the vehicle and they began to document everything they were doing, videotaping it, and the media is playing some of this footage that they've spread around as I'm seeing Scott and these others get ripped out of the vehicles, lifeless, and now this mob is just trying to mutilate their bodies with sticks and rods, and they wind up wrapping rope around their legs and dragging them through the streets of Fallujah and hung them upside down from the Euphrates River Bridge and set their bodies on fire, and then they kept chanting in Arabic into the camera a message, I guess you could say, I heard loud and clear, a message for all Americans. They're chanting, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. And so needless to say, went through the whole spectrum of just, you know, how you deal with the, the grief of, of that. I honestly landed on a sense of uh, just a hatred I'd never felt in my heart before. And listening to that message, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans, I just, I wanted revenge. I wanted to get mm -hmm. through that TV screen and I wanted to take the lives of those guys that, that did that right there. And revenge is not a very healthy fuel to be burning on. Thankfully, that would mature up along the way. But just trying to be transparent, that's kind of where I was at. And it yeah. is a fuel, and it burns bright. And I just became determined that I'm going to go through with doing this, but I'm doing it for so much more. I want to do it in honor and memory of my mentor. I'm remembering his last words to me, Junior, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And like I said, a big part of me wanted to get some get back. And so I had his name written on the inside of my hat all throughout training. And so anytime uh, things got difficult, I would just glance up at that name and think to myself, you gotta take me out of here in a body bag before I voluntarily quit out of this program. Yeah. It's not happening. Yeah, it seems like uh, that was a recurring theme in your book. It, I'm gonna die before I quit. Um, and that takes us into SEAL training. So I, I know for me personally, the SEAL training is really fascinating. And uh, we don't have time to get into all of it at all, but Give us, give us just an overview of the experience of, of SEAL training and what that looked like. Yeah, I remember starting with a class of 173 guys, and the instructors are saying, you know, in the beginning, look left, look right. Take a mental picture of those guys around you, in front of you, behind you, because chances are, if you're still standing here for graduation day, that means these guys you just looked around at, they, they didn't make it. 
And so we're all sizing each other up, kind of picking out who I think is going to make it for sure. You know, I, I know I, I'm thinking I'm one of these guys too, but mm-hmm. all of them say they'll die before they quit. And, mm-hmm. and, and then all of them say it in a very believable way. And they've all made it through some pretty difficult pre-seal training and no one has quit yet. Uh, so I'm looking at all these other guys and then I'm picking off guys that I think definitely won't make it. You know, that's going to be the first guy to quit. And that all gets turned upside down on, on its head. You never know who's going to make it and who isn't going to make it. The guy that everyone thought was going to make it, he didn't. The guy that everyone thought would be the first guy to quit, this Alex Gagne fella, like he ends up getting through. Uh, but SEAL training, you know, it's, it's very much, it's, <laughs> it's mental. Uh, but they use physical tools to torture you, to break you mentally. That's kind of the idea of how it works. And, and Hell Week is really, I guess you could say, the crux of it. Uh, it's five and a half days long. Uh, you get four hours of sleep. That's not per night. That's it, four hours for the next five and a half days. And it starts off with you're going out there in the Pacific Ocean in February when it is absolute cold. It's taking your breath away. And you start going through the stage of hypothermia, getting surf tortured. We call it jackhammering cold because you look like you're hanging on to a jackhammer. And for the next five and a half days, you are shivering. Once the shivering begins, the shivering never stops. Uh, you run over 200 miles during that time, and that's carrying something everywhere you go, either a boat or a telephone log uh, with your boat crew. And that boat's rubbing and grinding on top of your head. It rubs through all the hair and skin in the top of your head. Not a dry moment. Imagine what that salt water does to your skin and the beach sand rubbing and grinding. And on top of all this physical exertion and sleep deprivation, it, it leads to hallucinations. You know, and looking back, it's funny, but when you're going through, it's not so fun. I mean, I'm looking in the water and I grew up watching Ninja Turtles and I'm seeing like Donatello pop up out of the water. And I'm like, no, this isn't real. You know, I'm trying to whack him with my paddle. You know, and other, other guys are seeing their own crazy things. But that's just a little five and a half day picture of about, you know, a two year long pipeline. Yeah. And the instructors, I just say on graduation day, they were more than right about the whole look left, look right. Out of that 173, there's only 13 of that original class number still standing there for that graduation day. Um, so when somebody wants to quit, um, you mentioned all the guys that, that said they would die before they quit, but didn't, they quit. Um, what do they have to do in order to quit? Yeah, you voluntarily quit. They always remind you, it's a volunteer program. You don't have to be here. And so guys that, that don't want it anymore, they have to ring a brass bell three times in front of everybody, signifying that they've given up. Uh, they take their, their class helmet with their family name on it, the class number, their rank, and they lay it down underneath that bell. And it just remains out there at the, the headquarters all throughout training, all the people that quit in chronological order, all those helmets that are out there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a way to go. Well, and uh, I, you mentioned in your book that there would be guys that would just have such shame about quitting um, that they would ring the bell, but they wouldn't do it you know, with much enthusiasm, they'd be berated for it, like ring right. it like a man, you know, right. like, um, but, but you had mentioned earlier that there was a guy that you thought was a no brainer would get through that didn't. Um, and tell us a little about that. Uh, he was the guy that everyone thought would, cause there's no competition over who was going to get first place. This guy was always so far ahead of everybody else that the debate amongst all the other guys is like, all right, who's grabbing second. So he's going to make it. He's born and bred to be a seal. And then, you know, you got the other side of it, like the total antithesis of him is this other guy, Gagne, who is in the very back of everything that we ever did. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost insulting that he's even there amongst us. Like this is a guy that had no athletic background. He just rolled off the couch one day, unplugged the electronics and decided he wanted to become a SEAL. And so I don't know how he did the bare minimum to get his foot in the door, but this guy's gonna be out first. The irony is that by the time we get to that portion of, of Hell Week, 
Who's amongst the first to quit? That started the class. And he had an effect on a lot of other people because when he quit, there's probably about 15 to 20 other guys that quit right there with him. Yeah. You know, and who was one of the guys that made it all the way through this pipeline and became a SEAL who was actually motivating me along the way it was this guy, Gagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, these guys, they, they don't want to quit on their own. And I guess you could say, like, misery loves company, and anyone that's going down, they want to try and drag people down with them. And there's spiritual truth to that as well with, with sin, you know? And so, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 15, 33? You know, bad company corrupts good morals. And, and so, yeah, you just want to separate yourself from that as, as much as you can. Otherwise, they'll, they'll drag you down. They'll, I, I had guys that would come up to me and be like, hey, we've made it pretty far. This is, this is respectable, man. Like, we made it to the third day of Hell Week, but let's go. Let's quit. Let's get out of here. It's like, no, <laughs> you go do your thing, man, but I don't want to be a part of that. So, with all these guys quitting... Um, and I know you had made a commitment. You said, I'm not going to quit. Um, what was it every day that made you go, or every, not even every day, but every moment when you're feeling, because you're feeling the same thing they're feeling, you're seeing and experiencing the same thing they're experiencing. What was it for you that made you go, I, I literally will die before I quit? I think it's the things that you write on the inside of your hat. So they let you write on the inside of your hat before you go through Hell Week. They give you a white felt marker. And that's what you're going to be looking at, you know, when you're suffering. And, and so, you know, one of the things I had was my mentor's name. You know, I'm thinking, you got to take me out of here in a body bag before I quit on that name. Mm-hmm. I also wrote down family on the inside of my hat. I had my girlfriend's name on the inside of the hat, which I still have the hat to this day. It's a little awkward to break out in front of my wife. Just kidding. I married that girl. So I get to keep that hat around the house. <laughs> Uh, but looking back, it was those three top things like faith, family, and friends. And, and looking back, like no one that ever made it through training ever had their own name on the inside of their hat. Yeah. And that's kind of important because we are living in one of the most selfish, narcissistic times where you ask people like, why? Why are you trying to achieve or go for whatever goal it is? And they say, well, I'm working on my brand. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm loving me. It's like, ah, yeah. I hate to hear that because, hey, I know when the going gets tough, that's not going to be enough. Yeah. You got to reach outside of yourself. And, and so it's the things that you write on the inside of the hat. So you finish up, because uh, at the end of Hell Week, that's not the end of SEAL training. You still got a long way to go. And we've talked a lot about the physical, but there's, I mean, these aren't just big muscle heads that are doing SEAL training and, you know, Navy SEALs, these guys are highly intelligent operators. And so you had to go through a lot of schooling, a lot of education, a lot of formal things. So Hell Week wasn't the end of it. You lost people after that uh, as well. Um, So you finish up your SEAL training, you're finally a Navy SEAL, um, and uh, you're assigned to SEAL Team 1. And you didn't have... um, you didn't have the, the best experience with that, but after you become a SEAL, in some of your downtime, you're, you're partying, you're running around. Yeah. Um, tell us why that was happening and kind of what happened next. Becoming a SEAL that day of graduation, I can say it was one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life, but it didn't take long to realize that this isn't gonna be the thing that fulfills you, you know, for life. In fact, it didn't take more than 24 hours before kind of felt like the wind came out of the sail and everything slowly began to go downhill and, and circle a drain from that point forward. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time. I mean, I just achieved the ultimate. I thought that I would be set that in a sense that, you know, I can kind of like live off of this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until years later I heard these words by a Christian philosopher over the radio where he says, 
you know, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate, and in the end, it lets him down. And I think it's something that everyone in this room is familiar with, at least to some degree. It's that human condition, that the grass is always greener on the other side, never fulfilled with where we're at. What do you want, man? I just want a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so we buy into this belief that if we had a certain identity or status or, you know, we're making a certain amount of money or maybe what I'm missing in my life, it's like relationship goals or we need a bigger home or we need a vacation. Like you, you keep moving the bar thinking this is gonna be the thing that fulfills. And what happens is, it fulfills, but only for a little while. You get hungry, you get thirsty all over again. And it's like this vicious cycle that seemingly never ends. But there is an end point, And the end point is kind of like what happens at that point where you finally reach a point where you no longer could keep moving the bar. You no longer could keep saying like, well, I'll just climb the mountain a little bit higher. Well, why not? Because you're at the peak of the mountain and there's nothing left to climb. Uh, but like all the other times, you're hungry, you're thirsty for more. But unlike all the other times, this time there's no next. That's where you get the truth of those words. One of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate and the end it lets him down. And you see this in the lives of, you know, all of those sort of like rock stars, movie stars that have gained their version of the whole world and look at them. You know, they're, they're destroying their own life still. They're miserable. And we can't wrap our mind around why. Uh, but I appreciate even a man like Jim Carrey who doesn't know the Lord, but he knows this much. He says, I wish that, Everyone could become rich and famous and have everything that they ever wanted so that they would know it's not the answer. And so in my experience of becoming a seal, I gained my version of the whole world, but it wasn't the answer. And I think Jesus explains it perfectly when he says, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the end loses his soul? Yeah. And so that was what I was missing at that time. You know, I believed in God's existence. I was like the guy that would cry out to God whenever I was in trouble. But as soon as I was out of trouble, it was like I had this spiritual amnesia. Like, oh, what was the deal we made? It was like, I promise I will follow you if you help me through this. And then, you know, it seems like he would get me through. He's working in the shadows of my life. Uh, and then you kind of turn your back on him. And, and so if you have no peace with your creator, you won't ever experience any real peace here on earth. And so I kind of Wore, the, wore the, the armor, if you will, of like, I did it, I achieved, I became a Navy SEAL. But while I was on SEAL Team 1 secretly, I was more miserable inside at that stage of my life than I'd ever been. And I, I just didn't know that it was a God issue at that time. But looking back, I could say that's what was going on. So tell us about uh, March 14th, 2007. So March 14th, 2007, just to kind of appease the family, I decided, all right, I'll, I'll go to church. I haven't punched my card in in a while. I was kind of doing some things that had them concerned about me. And so I go, and there's a man speaking there that night by the name of Greg Glory. You might know the name, uh, the movie that's out, uh, Jesus Revolution. And uh, he starts sharing about a soldier. I'm thinking, well, great. If I'm going to come to something at church, at least I get to hear a story about a soldier. And he starts describing this soldier. The story is in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's the story of Naaman. He's a Syrian commander. He's had great success in battle. He's got this entourage of men that highly respect him. Even the king enjoys Naaman's company, it says. And so this status that he has is getting him into the VIP meet and greets. Like even the, the king wants to rub shoulders with Naaman. He's this mighty man of valor. Guy sounds like he could have been a seal, uh, but he had leprosy. And leprosy during his time, Jesus looking back said, nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. And so now kind of circle back and picture that life from the proper perspective is like, hey, so much for all this outward man stuff, like what's really going on underneath that armor that doesn't meet the eye? Mm -hmm. What's really going on underneath that clothing that we don't see? 
Well, what's really going on is he's literally deteriorating. He's falling apart. He's a dead man walking. I'm sitting there thinking, I relate with that. And maybe some of you in a room this size, just by the law of averages, can relate with that as well. Like, what type of man or woman are you on the outside? What kind of armor are you wearing in front of the coworkers, the family members, and friends, when in reality, underneath it all, there are some things that are just eating away and you're deteriorating. And so I'm listening to Naaman's story, and, and he winds up, learning about this prophet over in Israel, he's told he'll heal you if you're leprosy. And so he decides to go. It's enemy-occupied territory. He's got approval from his king. It's a 150-mile trip, and he's got his horses and chariots. He gets there to the door, and the prophet doesn't even come out there to greet him. Winds up sending a servant to the door that just relays this message of, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and when you come up, your flesh will be restored. You'll be clean. Well, he becomes furious, in the Bible, it just lays it out. He says he turned, he went away in a rage. He's speaking out loud, saying what his expectation was, that he thought this guy was going to come out, wave his hand over the place, call him the name of the Lord his God, and strike this leprosy away. You know, he's expecting some kind of real special effects, but instead he gets treated like this normal and infuriates him. He's leaving in this rage. And the thing is, if he continues off in that direction, he's a dead man walking. It's yeah. terminal. And what's really getting in the way for naming here. It's his issue is so much deeper than the leprosy. His issue is something that we all struggle with, and it's really, it's pride. He won't go do this simple thing because this simple little thing to him seemed like a foolish thing. And that's exactly what the Bible says about the preacher of the cross, that the preacher of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Thankfully, Naaman is surrounded by some people that care about him. And so they're trying to reason with them, and they're trying to get him back over there. I'm sure they don't know exactly how this works. They just know this much. We need to get our name and back there in front of that God of Israel, step back, and let the God of Israel do the heavy lifting. And so they plead with them. They end up reasoning with them. And I think at this point, I think Naaman understands. It's not the water that's going to fix me. Yeah. You know, he does have cleaner water where he's from. He's tried the dipping in water. It's that, it's that God of Israel, that if I'm faithful, he will be faithful and he will do the hard part. And so as he's changing a physical direction to make that move, I would say there's a whole lot more going on than a mere physical change. There's a 180 going on inside of his mind, and he's humbling himself. It's like the, the act of peeling away that armor that would need to go before he goes in the water, that's where he's peeling away what really needed to go all that time, the pride, the ego, and humility dipping down these seven times when he comes up. Seventh time, brand new skin, the Bible says, like that of a baby. Yeah. And so I remember just listening to that and just being captivated, very drawn in. It's like a, a movie, you know, and, and I love going to the movies, especially at that time, because it's almost like a little bit of a, an escape. You don't have to be you for a little bit. You can enter into an air-conditioned facility, the lights go down, and you could live vicariously through some character. And we typically know these movies go, you know, the hero goes through some kind of adversity in the beginning, uh, and then there's this transformation that takes place, it all works out for the hero in the end. Credits roll, guy gets the girl, whatever. And so I'm thinking that's where we're at. It's about over. And uh, it was a nice little inspiration. Uh, but yeah, good for Naaman. Uh, but I think the point should be made that the credits don't roll right there, that, that just as God provided a solution for Naaman, he's provided a solution for us as well. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't come in the form of dipping into the Jordan River. You could say what God did was he... He set his son, he dipped his son down into the world on a rescue mission. That's Jesus of Nazareth. And if you haven't picked up on it yet in the Old Testament, what is this leprosy? It's a picture of our sin. Spiritually speaking, apart from God, we are a mess. We are spotted and blotted and blemished with this sin. But Jesus, 
lived a holy, perfect, sinless life. He was without blemish. So he lives his perfect life, performed these miracles, preached truth about God, but it all really culminated in the end, his whole purpose for coming, Matthew 121, to save his people from their sin. And so just as Naaman couldn't do anything to get the leprosy off of himself, there's nothing that you and I could do to get our sin off of ourselves, and it comes with nasty consequences. His leprosy leads to death. The wages of sin is death. But what Jesus did at the cross is he traded skin with you and I. He took our leprosy, as it were, upon himself, our sin, so that we could be switched and lavished with God's grace and his mercy. So he pays the penalty of our sin, the wages of our sin, that death at the cross, and then conquers death by rising again from the grave and declares from that resurrected life, because I live, you also shall live. But for for Naaman, what was the turning point? Like, how, how did this all go down? It started that moment that he turned. Well, Jesus, interestingly, he says that if anyone wants to come after me, you must deny self. You have to come to a point where you could do what, you know, you, you call this morning the Naaman thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, humble yourself. Come to a point where you realize, like, yeah, there's no spiritual staircase to heaven. I climb on my own. There's no amount of things that I could do. I, I can't gain enough of the world to get all the way up to heaven on yeah. my own. Uh, Jesus even says, apart from me, you could do nothing. And so we're separated from God, our creator, the one that spoke this universe into existence because of our sin, our choices. We've disobeyed, we've turned our back, we've disappointed him, but thankfully he doesn't leave us there. He sent his son into the world on a rescue mission, so though our sins have separated us from our creator, Jesus does what? He pays for the penalty of that sin so that we could have a right relationship with him again. But it, you, you, it doesn't just happen by default. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You're not a Christian just because you're born in America. You're not a Christian just because that's what your family is. Yeah. We all have to come to this sort of name and point where you say, I humble myself before my creator and I'm flinging myself upon his mercy. I'm asking Jesus to save me. That's why we call him the savior. He's the only one that can save you from your sin. You call him savior, And Lord, as Lord, he's like your shot caller. He's like your assault leader. He'll inform you how you ought to shoot, move, and communicate through life. You know, he'll he'll instruct you. He'll help you in terms of how you ought to think about things and look at things. And you learn all about that, you know, in the Gospels. Uh, But the moment that anyone does that, repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in him, just like God did the heavy lifting for Naaman, he does the heavy lifting and it happens in an instant. He'll remove your sin. It says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out that times refreshing may come. He removes as far as the east is from the west, and the reward is great, knowing I have eternity with my creator. I have a lane to be in now with purpose while I'm here on earth. You know, Jesus says, you know, that all these other things, right? They leave you hungry and thirsty for more. He says, you drink of my living water, you'll never thirst again. You never thirst again in the sense that I'm complete. I have no need for another. I don't need to achieve some external goal I'm complete in this relationship with the Lord. And here's the cool thing. Once you have that piece, that centerpiece, that cornerstone, he's in the throne of your heart. He's where he belongs, the most important thing. Everything else in life takes its proper category. It's all secondary. It's all supplementary. And then you can actually enjoy them in a way you never enjoyed them before. Because if you take those things and you try and make them an idol, a God, it can never live up to that. But if God is where he belongs, the throne of your heart and everything else is secondary, the scriptures say, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I could go back to being a seal and actually enjoy being a seal in a way I never enjoyed before. It's just different. I'm not a seal for me. It's like I'm a seal for thee. 
Yeah. Before it's like decaf, and now it's like, all right, this actually has some purpose, you know, here. So the, that night, <clears throat> you responded um, to the invitation. You said yes to Jesus. You went forward. You, you did all the stuff. But and your parents were with you, and yeah. Aubrey, your girlfriend at the time, was yeah. with you. Um, your parents were thrilled. They were excited. Um, Aubrey, not as much. Yeah, because I really poisoned the well before we went. I told her, we're going to go do this church thing. She'd never been to something like that. It's like, we need to get out of there as soon as possible. So if they ask you to respond in some way, you know, you'll wind up, you know, going in some back room. They're going to want to talk to us. And so just don't listen to any of that. Let's get out of here. And what do I wind up doing that night, you know? And so she thought I lost my mind. It's like, you basically just drank the Kool-Aid you told me not to drink. Uh, And uh, yeah, she's like, what happened to you? I'm like, I just became a Christian. And she's like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean we're not going out tonight? We're not partying? I'm like, no, we're not partying tonight. Yeah. Uh, but the cool part of the story, you know, is uh, about a year later, uh, she wound up getting saved. And, and so, yeah, we're married. We got two kids together. Yeah, so <laughs> very happy about that. And obviously, in the time we've got today, we're, we're leaving out a lot of the story. There is a ton that we can't get to. Um, and uh, Chad's book is available in the lobby. I'd love for you to pick it up uh, after we finish here in just a few minutes. You can chat with him and, uh, and connect with him a little bit. Um, so, so Chad, in this series we're currently in, we're, we're talking about crossing the Rubicon and crossing this point of no return where we go, okay, hey, I'm making a commitment to something, um, whether it's Christ or a healthy marriage or a new way of thinking or whatever it might be, but I am totally committing to something, never going back, and I keep thinking about what you're saying. I'd rather die than quit. And, and I, I think, man, if we, had that, if we had that mentality really in our walk with Christ or in our marriage or whatever it is, how much different our world would look. And so if, if there are people sitting in the room or in Blairsville or watching online right now that are, are facing a decision in their life, maybe it's in their walk with Christ, maybe it's in different areas where they're, they're trying to decide, okay, am I going to totally commit to this or not? Yeah. What, what would you say to them? It won't work unless you totally commit. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. I've prayed that prayer growing up, I don't know how many times, and there was never any effect. Why? Because I never actually was fully repenting of my sin. And I remember telling a Navy SEAL friend that was a Christian uh, that was trying to talk to me. And I just told him, look, Jeff, I don't know what it is. I've prayed this prayer so many times. I look around, though, and I'm just not in it. I'm not in it like everybody else. And so maybe I'm just more cerebral. Maybe I'm not as emotional. I'm not, like, singing the songs. I just, I'm not worshiping like everyone else. And he goes, you know what, Chad? I don't know what it is, but I do know this much. God will not work with you until you give him an empty template to work with. And when he said that to me, in my head, I realized I I never really gave God an empty template. I never actually really intended on stopping a couple things. I thought if I just make a 98% commitment, but if I still keep these sins over here, like that's a pretty good deal. Mm -hmm. And that's why I never experienced any real change. And so God will not work with you until you truly give him an empty template to work with. And so you do have to reflect, you know, do a little introspect and see, is there any sin in your life? Is there any place your feet are taking you they ought not to go? You know, what things are your hands touching they ought not to touch? These are things that you have to completely like come out from amongst it, right? And so it's leaving it all behind. It's like that Hernan Cortez we talked about last night, the Spanish conquistador that did what nobody else was ever able to do. He got the Aztec empire, the treasure, 
And, and one of the big differences that he had committed to was he looked back and he told his men as they're about to go forward into the forest, he told them to go burn the ships that they just came in on. That way there's no fallback plan. We're not going back on our ships. If we go back, we're going back on their ships. And so it's that full commitment that ultimately led to them being able to do what nobody else has ever been able to do. And you see that time and time again, if you read the scriptures, that God wants you to completely come out from amongst it. And when you come out from amongst it completely, yeah, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. And so if he has our full loyalty, our heart, our mind, our commitment. We love him. It's that first greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment because if you aim at heaven, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added to you. That's what yeah. Jesus says. That's good. Um, I mentioned your book. You also have uh, some shirts you've got available. Yeah. And uh, if somebody was looking at it, they might be like, I don't know what this means because there's a there's a frog on it. You've got a logo. Tell us about that. Yeah, too. the shirt's outside. So in the SEAL teams, we're known as frog men, uh, but we wear a bone frog to honor and remember the fallen frog men. And on the back of the shirt, it says, greater love is known than this than the one that laced on his life for his friends. So it honors these guys that have shed their blood you know, for earthly freedom. Intentionally, there's no scripture reference on the back. It's a John 15, 13, but why? Well, because someone on the street that's kind of curious about the frog, if they see a John 15, 13, they're not opening their mouth. They're, I'm not getting into that spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. And so since it's not there, they will open their mouth. You will get asked. And so you get to share with these people, yeah, this represents seals that shed their blood for your earthly freedom. And then they're like, hey, I like the words on the back of the shirt too, that greater love thing. That sounds familiar. Who was that? Like Socrates or something? Like, no, nope, not Socrates. Let me tell you about that one. That's the Savior. And so just as these guys shed their blood for your earthly freedom, that Savior shed his blood for your eternal freedom. And it's like every time it's the same response. They go, wow, I never thought about it that way before. And so it actually really helps to open up eyes uh, to the gospel. And then, you know, realizing we're pretty short on time. Do you guys want to know what happened in that ambush? All right, you got to get the book. I'll be happy to sign it out there for you. <laughs> Well, Chad, thank you so yep. much for being here. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss Chad. He's going to head out to the lobby. Can we give Chad Williams a big round of applause? You. you can be seated just for a few minutes. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us today. And uh, for those of you that are in Blairsville right now, I appreciate you joining us today as well. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Colin, and he's going to close out the rest of our time together today. But I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So for those of you here in the room and those of you watching online, I'm so appreciative of Chad and his story. And one of the things he talks about in his book is <clears throat> the day that he surrendered his life to Christ he said that he rang the bell on his old life. So he used, I love the imagery. He used the, this imagery from the SEAL training where they went and they rang this big brass bell to, to signify they were quitting. Um, that they were done with something that had engulfed them, that had been part of who they were, their identity. And there would be these grown men, these manly men who would be weeping as they were ringing this bell because they knew I'm not gonna make, this life is over. And I love the imagery of him saying, I rang the bell on my old life, because what he's saying is, I'm quitting it. I am walking away from it. And 
The reality is today, some of you need to ring the bell on your old life. You've been living a life for yourself. And Chad referenced this. One of the things Jesus says is anyone who wants to be my follower, they have to give up their own way, take up their cross every day and follow me. They have to give up their own way. And that's what the first thing we have to do is we have to ring that bell and say, I'm done with me. I'm done with trying to find my identity of myself and my success and my approval from others, all these kind of things. I am quitting my own way. And I'm totally committing to Christ. I am pursuing him first and foremost because that's the only way we're gonna find real life in this world. So I wanna give you an opportunity I wanna give you a chance to respond. Just like, just like Chad was given an invitation and he was asked to raise his hand. Uh, we're not gonna take you to a side room today or anything like that, but we do wanna pray for you. And so if you would bow your head and close your eyes all of this place. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness. We're grateful. We're grateful for men and women like Chad Williams that would willingly serve, that would willingly risk their lives. So many have laid down their lives so that we could have freedom. But God, I'm so grateful that you sent your son to pay the price that we could never pay so that we could have freedom from sin, freedom in the realest, truest sense. So God, I pray today we would not overlook the price that Christ paid for us, that we would understand what this invitation is, that you're not asking us to give up something as much as you're asking us to take up something. So God, I pray that we would ring the bell on our old lives, that we would say, I am done with that. I'm walking away from it. And that is the end of that. I am totally committing my life today to Christ. There's no turning back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die before I quit. So God, I pray that you would give us that heart, give us that kind of motivation, because that's the motivation Christ had for us. He would rather die than quit for us. So God, minister in this place in our hearts these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you'd say to me today, Mel, I recognize today my need for a savior. I recognize that my goodness, my morality, the way I'm living is not going to save me. I recognize that, that my life is just a dry well and I need Jesus. So today I wanna, I wanna ring the bell on my old life. I'm walking away from that and I wanna totally commit my life to Jesus Christ. I would love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? If you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer today. I wanna to surrender my life to Jesus. Yeah, thank you on my right, I see you. Who else? Yeah, thank you, ma'am, I see you on my right. Yeah, thank you on my left, I see you. Who else would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me today. Yeah, I surrender my life to Christ. Thank you, ma'am, I see you. Awesome. Just a few more seconds, who wants to join these? Say, Mel, pray for me, include me in that prayer. Today's my day. I'm ringing the bell of my whole life. I'm walking away. All right. Yeah, thank you. One more hand, I see you. Praise God. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And this isn't just salvation from hell, but it's salvation to new life in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a, a commitment to radical transformation in our own lives. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna give you the words to say. I'm gonna lead you in prayer, but I want everybody in the place to pray this prayer out loud. So 
I'm going to give you the words to say, but these, this is your prayer from your heart to God today. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only Son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I am totally committed to you and to your kingdom. Forgive me of my sin and help me live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. I'm so excited for you. Uh, I believe that today is one of those days that when you're writing the, the book of your life, when you're writing your story, today is one of the days it's gonna be marked because of what just happened. Uh, there's a party happening in heaven literally right now because of you and the decision you made to lay down your life for Christ, to say, I wanna follow him. So I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. For those of you that responded, uh, we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so help us help you. Uh, the simplest thing for you to do would be to either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then stop by the info center in just a moment. Give them the card and then they're gonna give you a Bible and they're gonna point you in the right direction, uh, give you some resources that are gonna help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000. Summit PA to 94000. Let us know about your decision today by selecting Salvation. And when you do that, um, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get some resources. Uh, one of our team is going to reach out to you in the next couple of days to help you begin to get pointed in the right direction. So we want to help you grow in your faith. Um, you, you've met Jesus, but now we want to help you get to know Jesus. So help us help you do that. Here's what's going to happen right now. These guys are going to lead us in one final song. And during this last song, I want to encourage you. Um, let's take a minute and reflect on what God has spoken to our hearts today, what God is doing in our lives. And while we're singing in this final song, some of our prayer team's gonna be available. They would love to pray for you. No matter what your need is, no matter what you've brought into this place, um, as we're singing this final song, feel free to step out and let them pray for you. Uh, even as we're dismissed in just a moment, as people are exiting, if you'd like to make your way forward, our team is here to pray for you, some of our prayer team and staff. So please take advantage of that. Um, and for those of you that just responded today for salvation or to rededicate your life to Christ, I want you to know next weekend we're having baptisms and I would love for you to get signed up for baptisms. Uh, it's a great way to go public with your faith and let the world know what God is doing in your heart. So please take advantage of that. You can register at our website, summitpa.church. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. If you're new to Summit or maybe you've only been a couple times, um, I just like to remind you at the end of every service, I love you more than you know, and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. Uh, God bless you guys. Have an awesome day, and I can't wait to see you next weekend. God bless you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.